Hey guys, welcome to Creative Entrepreneurship, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs build their business based on successes and failures of other entrepreneurs. Today we have an amazing guest. We're going to be talking about being a producer for comedy. Please help me welcome Scott Edwards. How are you doing today? Hey, hey, hey. I'm so happy to be here, man. Abel Garza is the man on the microphone. Good to be here this morning. We have some great topics to talk about. I hope your listening audience is ready to have fun and learn. Man, I'm excited to talk about this. This is one of the subjects that we have not talked about on this podcast, which is comedy. And, you know, being a creative entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur like yourself, uh, you've delved into many businesses. You've been doing great things and helping uh, folks with their uh, entrepreneurship. And one of the things that you're delving into is comedy. And so one of the the questions I would have as a, uh, I guess, a nascent entrepreneur who wants to go into the field of comedy uh, is how you got started, you know, some of the things that some of the challenges you've had, some of the successes, uh, you know, whether or not you uh, bootstrapped it, what type of financing did you obtain, stuff like that. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, please give us some, um, I guess, give us an idea of who you are, what you do, and how you've been helping people. Hey, well, thanks for asking, Abel. So I am a serial entrepreneur. I started my first company at age 17, small construction company. Then I was in the uh, disco era. Did I mention I'm old? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and uh, then I opened my first comedy club. It was the 12th comedy club in the country in 1980. So uh, a few years back, I ran it for uh, 21 years. It is still operating today, just not under my guidance. Um, I went on and uh, worked in the auto industry. I was in the insurance industry. I've had restaurants, art galleries. Uh, I produced uh, three TV series, uh, many, many concerts, and I've just had a blessed life. My secret to happiness is always doing things that uh, were fun and interesting to me. When it came to comedy, uh, it was kind of an interesting start, uh, Abel. If if you want to hear the story, I was selling life insurance and absolutely hated it. When you're uh, 22 years old and you're selling life insurance, you don't think you're ever going to die, right? <laughs> right. So uh, I was on vacation with my then-girlfriend, soon-to-be wife, soon-to-be ex-wife, whoop, uh, in Los Angeles, and I went by the comedy store but it was the satellite one in westwood right by ucla university and it was uh you know like a two dollar cover it was uh, the comedy stores a showcase format so it was comic after comic after comic i had never seen this form of entertainment live i was totally taken by it i met dave couillet that that night uh, george wallace sandra bernhardt and i just fell in love with the idea so i stayed all night to the irritation of my girlfriend, talked to all the people involved from the manager of the club to the comics. And then on that six hour drive back from LA to my hometown of Sacramento, I decided I was gonna open a comedy club. And uh, about three months later, I did. Man, that's crazy. Well, you know, when producing a comedy club, it's a, it's an undertaking that requires careful planning and preparation. Uh, you need to book a venue, secure headliners, um, you know, opening comedians. To, you know, you need to hire them. Uh, a host. You know, you need to sell drinks, food. What what is it that you'd be expecting when you go into the business? What is it that I should expect when when attempting to go into this business? So what's great about stand-up comedy production is it's a cash business. So uh, there's lots of ways to bring in some quick cash. 
and um, be able to use that to build your business. But to get started, you're very uh, right, Abel. You want to find the right location, like any business, a restaurant, a retail store, uh, stand-up comedy is just the same. If you're going to open a comedy room or a comedy club, it's all about location, location, location. And in my case, because I had no money and was doing everything by the seat of my pants, I negotiated the use of a banquet room in a nice restaurant, and they would have banquets during the day. I would tear down the banquet, set up my comedy club, do the door, seat the people, MC the show. And then after the show, I had to break down the club again because they were going to have banquets the next day. Mm-hmm. The great thing was, and what I thought I was really smart about, was I didn't have to pay for the room because I let the restaurant make the food and drink money and I got the door money. And I did that for about um, eight months. And that's where I built up enough to then get my own brick and mortar store. I was doing it all on my own initially. I had some friends helping me out by about the third or fourth month and uh, built up quite an empire. Ended up owning a chain of comedy clubs, three of them. And all those comedy clubs are also a bar and a restaurant. So I had to learn how to run a restaurant, learn how to run a bar and produce comedy. It was it was quite an exciting time. You know, that's. I think that once you book the, book the venue, you, you mentioned that you booked the venue, but and you, then, of course, you have kind of like a sigh of relief that you've booked the venue, but then the things to consider once you've booked it, you know, are you looking at audio, the lighting, the parking? Are you looking at some of the amenities within that venue that give the customer or the, 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 the people attending the experience that they need in order to consider right. even buying a ticket? Right. You, it's important to have the right experience. So after I made the decision to open a comedy club, I quit my job as a life insurance agent. I went bankrupt, so I had no debt. I had negotiated free use of this room. But then what, right? No. So what I did is I went back down to Los Angeles and visited two or three different comedy clubs, talked to the managers, talked to the comics, and took copious notes what they were getting paid, what was expected by the comics, what was expected by the club owner or the manager. And I gleaned a lot of information and then went back to uh, Sacramento where they made this deal. And I brought in theatrical lighting because I wanted to look professional. I brought a, uh, I bought a used audio system and set it up in this banquet room. Uh, the stage was literally just a riser with a black curtain behind it. And that was enough to open up in August of 1980 when my very first act, my first opening act, uh, was the very talented Gary Shandling. Gary Shandling. He had come out from Phoenix, Arizona. I paid him $150 for a week of work. And, of course, nobody knew him then, but he went on to the uh, Larry Sanders show, the Gary Shandling show, and starring in many, many movies. Uh, but Gary Shandling was unknown at the time. Here was the key, uh, Abel. Mm-hmm. When I got started, when I met Dave Coulier, he introduced me to Bob Saget. Bob Saget introduced me to Gary Shandling. You know, it just, I kept getting meeting these people, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, all people that were not famous at the time, just really solid comics. And then, of course, as a producer, my number one goal was to find talent and bring it to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. 
So I would go to showcase nights in LA and in San Francisco and take notes. If I thought somebody was funny, then I would approach them and say, Hey, here, you know, here's my phone number. Call me. Let's see if we can get you up to the club. And so Sacramento sadly was stuck with my sense of humor. Uh, the only people I worked in the club were the people I thought were funny, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I apparently had pretty good taste because as I mentioned, I got a chance to work with some of the best, mm -hmm. uh, Robin Williams, Paula Poundstone, uh, Tommy Chong. Yeah. It goes on and on Pat Paulson, Harry Anderson. Uh, they all got a chance to work for me and it was so exciting. That's awesome. And I'm, it's exciting just to hear your, your, the transition and the trajectory of your, of your career. And I remember, you know, here in San Antonio when they first opened the comedy club up here, uh, in downtown San Antonio, I remember like people like Carlos Mencia, who nobody really knew who he was. He was showing up there and, uh, and it just makes sense that, you know, uh, as they start out, you find the local headliners, you find the people that are local. And, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're nationwide. They're, they're just popular everywhere. When you're looking for a headliner, do you look for people that are local? Do you look for the the funniest comedian in the the area that that you're that you're in, or do you do you source that out to different locations? Well, if you're starting a local club, like some of your listeners might, you want to work with the local base of comedy. They're, all the cities, big or small, will have a few people that uh, consider themselves stand-up comics. And if I was to start a business today, I would focus on the local uh, entertainment value that you might have. In my case, I was determined to open what's called an A room. So it's like the step before you get a sitcom, right? It wasn't a showcase club. It wasn't an open mic. It was an A room. And what I did was I did tap into some of the local talent as MCs and opening acts but i was bringing in people from san francisco boston new york and la and really making sure that each and every week there was somebody worth paying for because keep in mind the audience is a paid audience uh -huh. you have an obligation to present value and entertainment when someone's paying you yeah and so you know, you, you book your headliner, you, you've, you've had your focus on the local area, the local, um, I guess the local people there. When you're doing your opening, the opening act, which I think is really important as well, uh, you know, they're the ones that warm up the, the audience. Uh, in many cases, they're the ones that kind of set the stage to the how, how the headliner is going to go, you know, and whether or not that uh, we get them all, you know, set the stage, so to speak, for, for that headliner. Um, how do you identify your, your openers? Like, uh, <coughs> do you, you look at somebody who's maybe not so funny or do you try to find as many funny, funny people as you can? Well, first off, I emceed my own shows. So I had to develop my own personality on stage and then develop it over the years to make sure the audience was engaged and aware of what was going on, who they were going to see and why. Excuse me a second. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a tickle in my throat. So the uh, opening acts, though, especially the local guys, what I was able to do was learn 
about the various aspects of what makes somebody funny. It's not just the class clown or somebody that goes up and drops a lot of Mm F-bombs. You're looking for content. You're looking for quality. You're looking for somebody that engages with the audience. And so my job as the producer was to watch these people, give them an opportunity on my stage. I did open mics. I had uh, uh, some people that were just starting out. A great example was when she first came out from Boston, Paula Poundstone was really not funny, but she had this nugget of talent, this uh, perspective that was, you know, she's a little different, a little twisted that everybody could see. And she was the only act in the history of my club. I let work multiple weeks, uh, night after night on stage. And after every set, we would sit down and say what worked and what didn't work and why and really helped her hone her comedy, helped her find her comedy voice. And then she went on to being, you know, one of the top comedians in the country and and is still out touring today. And she has her own podcast. She's very successful. But when she started, you know, she needed to work. And what a comedy club is, is a training ground for people that are interested in being funny on a entertainment level, you know, again, Mm -hmm. not the funniest guy in your office or the guy that puts a lampshade on his head in an office party, right? We're talking about people that have, uh, the comics have to engage and make people that paid money to, to be seen, you know, to, to be entertained. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different level, whether you're an opening act or a headliner, whether you're doing five minutes or an hour, you have an obligation to entertain that audience so my job was to find those talents find those lumps of coal you might say and turn them into the diamonds that they had the uh, potential to be another example is brian posein started off as a local open mic comic at my club and you may recognize his name he was recently a regular on uh, the big bang theory for the last decade you know mm-hmm. so you never know where they're going to end up uh there's been plenty of people that were really funny but ended up not getting uh, a huge career out of it you know they had fun they made a little money but it wasn't uh, in the cards for them to uh get famous um so what's great about comedy is whether you're famous or not so famous mm-hmm. uh there's some value you can bring to an audience so I, I, I'm curious to know, because I want to throw in some of the business side of it. Do, I'm assuming that, that the, the mic night, the open mic night, is somewhat of a, of a resume for people coming in, for you to see they're fun, if they're funny or not. Um, what do you, do you focus that on, like, the type of crowd that's available within the venue? Uh, is it, like, friendly, uh, like, family-friendly? Do you focus on, like, family-friendly type of comedy, or do you go, you know, vulgar uh i know you said that it's not somebody who necessarily uses a lot of f-bombs do you focus on the demographic do i guess you do you consider the demographic prior to booking uh headliners and uh, uh openers so my job as a producer or director of a show is to make sure that the entertainment presented is going to fit my audience so my audience was the adults 18 and over in sacramento so I was using a lot of, uh, you know, Jay Leno and, and uh, 
Ray Romano and Jerry Seinfeld, those kind of uh, Midwestern, middle of the road, uh, not real dirty, good monologist. Um, and because that's what Sacramento related to. Um, if you're in San Francisco, you might have a more esoteric comic. If you're in, um, you know, a rough neighborhood, you know, maybe you have a little bit edgier comic. Mm -hmm. Now I, I gave a, a good variety to my audience. I mean, there was sometimes we had, uh, what are called blue shows or dirty shows, but we would tell the audience, Hey, this show's going to be a little more adult mm -hmm. than our regular show. And if you're not going to, you know, you don't want to participate, we're happy to give you your money back, but this show's going to be talking about sex or marriage or, um, interactions with people on a more graphic basis. The guys that just drop F-bombs to me aren't funny. And I, if I saw them in a showcase, I'd say, look, if you could be funny without dropping F-bombs, come back and see me. If not, this is not the right venue for you. Mm -hmm. So as a producer or director of a show, you're also the editor. So it was up to my decision who was allowed on my stage and who wasn't. So I, I made that determination uh, based on the quality of the material. The other thing, Abel, that's interesting about comedy is everybody starts off with three minutes. You know, that's a long time on stage, maybe three minutes of material, maybe five minutes. Mm -hmm. If they work it over and over with different audiences and they build on it and build on it, then they have 20 minutes now they or half an hour. Now they can be a feature act. Yeah. They get to 45 minutes to an hour. Now they're a headliner. So, you know, Gary Shandling started off as an opening act for me, but was so talented and such a good writer and such a good performer. He was soon a headliner. Um, that could be said about a few people. And there's a, a few people that never got past opening act or feature act. It just really depended on the material, the yeah. quality of the performance and what they brought to the audience. I always thought that was interesting, the way comedians can come on stage and kind of introduce new jokes and see how the 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 audience reacted and then kind of manipulate those jokes later to make them even more funny. Uh, I, I They're always growing, always building, yeah, right, I remember, I remember seeing, like, a, you know, uh, George Lopez, and when he, uh, when he came to San Antonio one time and he was introducing some new jokes and oh my gosh they, i remember hearing those for the first time and then him taking them to his next gig and his next gig and before you know it they were just refined uh beyond belief just crazy um you talked about being a host and i and we talked about how th this is the person who introduces the comedians keeps the show running smoothly the host doesn't necessarily have to be the a comedian but definitely has to have some insight as to or maybe even a slight sense of humor you know and that's necessarily uh one with their uh, of one of their main assets, but definitely has to have a knack for improvising and thinking on their feet. Do you do the, the hosting the majority of the time, or do you hire somebody who can host in that, in that fashion, or do you find comedians to host? So there's two ways of going. A lot of club owners will hire a local comic, try to develop them as an MC, which is a different talent. You're absolutely correct. When you're the MC, you're kind of the ringmaster of the show and you're making sure the acts are doing the correct time. You make sure that the audience is engaged and they get their service and you talk about the food menu and make sure you tip the waitresses. Don't just tip them, 
push them all the way over, you know, have some fun with the audience. Mm -hmm. In my case, I was the MC. So I was very stiff originally because I had never done it before. So I'd wear a suit and I was very, here we are and you know, kind of Ed Sullivan like, right. And here's our next show. Um, but what I learned was the best way to engage with an audience was to be honest and to be real. And the, the comedy comes from interacting with the audience. So, you know, obviously there's a bachelor party or a birthday. It's the MC's job to get that stuff out of the way so that the audience doesn't override the paid professional comic. Right. So it was my job to let them hoot and holler and be stupid. And then once they got done, okay, okay, now it's time for real comedy. So I, I was the one they were able to beat up on. I was the one engaging with the audience on a very uh, basic level and keeping them energized and keeping them focused. Uh, the other thing that's interesting that your audience may want to know is that much like a song or a musician does with a song or what they might do in a concert, a comedy show is always something that starts off at one level, then it takes it to the next level, and then you have the headliner, which is like the crescendo. You have to keep building. Wow. You know, I was a DJ during the disco years. You never started your dance party with the most high energy song, right? You'd, mm -hmm. you'd wipe out the crowd. For sure. So you'd start off with some slow dances, and then you maybe take them to some me medium speed stuff. And then you maybe end up with some rock and roll, kind of get them out going crazy. And then what do you do? You take them back down to slow music. It's like a wave, right? <laughs> Comedy is the same thing. You can't ever get the audience all the way to the top of the wave and leave them there. They won't mm -hmm. survive. You got to have ups and downs. It's it's uh, like a melody. You yeah. have to work the audience, work your comedy in a way that uh, the audience is on the trip with you. I hope that makes sense. It does. It's so funny. It's so amazing that you're able to uh, just talk about the the vicissitudes of how comedy is and the, and the and the and looking at it as a crescendo like you said it's it's amazing because you know you always talk about in music you know you want the highs and lows highs and lows and then you want to you know what i mean and then uh, unless you unless you're like uh, barney on on how i met your mother where everything needs to be high and uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you saw that, that right episode. no no i definitely uh, did uh, but you know like you said if you went to go see a concert of your favorite rock band and they came out and they played their number one hit would you stay for the rest of the show no yeah. they come out and they do their new stuff and the stuff they're trying out you know yeah. then they end on the big stuff and then they always have an encore right yeah. so you have to have something that'll top your best stuff so uh it's the same in comedy a really good comic brings the audience up and kind of proves they're funny they're able to maintain a certain level of comedy we call it laughs per minute and then be able to hit him with the punchline or the um, closer. And just like when when that joke's done, the audience wants to jump to their feet laughing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I love I love your perspective. I love your your wisdom on this. It's uh, it's very insightful. There's there's some part of the business that I really want to focus on, too, is like, you know, you've written uh, your or edited your your show you know you've got your venue you got your headliner your opener uh you've you've got your host down you've you've focused on the demographics you've you know you've done your rehearsals uh 
Now, how do you market this? Like, you know, you've written everything. You have several ways of doing this. Do you prepare in advance as far as advertising? Do you, uh, you know, get with the local radio stations? Are you talking to uh, newspapers or any kind of media? How do you even... I guess, guess obtain the content for that as well. Do you take, do you hire a photographer, videographer for the rehearsals and look at it uh, and see how you can, uh, uh, I guess, use this as a crescendo into the marketing, the marketing area. Uh, how do you, how do you do that? How do you market it and, and, and get it to, so that people can start buying tickets? Well, you kind of brought up two different things. One is the marketing and promotional aspects of owning a comedy club. And the other is, how do you uh, keep track of somebody that's funny or not funny and all that? So the short answer to the second part of that question is, as the producer of the show, I made a point of watching all the acts and taking notes, and I made a decision. I could usually tell in the first couple minutes if somebody has that nugget of talent that can be honed or not. And there was plenty of times I told people, I sat them down. You got to be brutally honest and say, look, you either got to write some different material or change your personality because you're not hitting it for this, this, and this reason. But the exciting part of my job as a producer was to find somebody like a Brian Posehn or a Paula Poundstone and say, wow, you've got something unique. Let, what are we going to do to really make it connect with the audience and work with them night after night, show after show? and help them develop as a professional entertainer. Um, the other part of it is marketing a comedy club. I did everything without any money. So in the initial days, I did two for one tickets and passed them out everywhere I could, mm -hmm. you know, go to a bakery, go to a gas station. Hey, here's a two for one pass. Come on out and check out laughs unlimited. Or I did flyers of the, uh, who's coming out each week. And I take those flyers and leave them at the bank and leave them at the grocery store. A lot of them got thrown away, but a lot of them got viewed. Right. Mm -hmm. Then once I kind of got the club going, then the, there's not, there wasn't a lot going on in Sacramento at the time, especially entertainment wise. So the entertainment editors from the two newspapers would send in reporters and I got reviews of the shows. And we love that because whether they liked the show or not, it was free advertising. Then you did tap into something that is important. The third stage was I made a point of offering stand-up comics uh, like Jay Leno, like Ray Romano, like Bob Saget, that I could take to radio stations. A lot of them had a morning zoo or a disc jockey that had to keep things upbeat in the morning. I would take in a Bruce Baum or a Tim Bedore, some comic, and let them, you know, be uh, the extra juice, the extra energy for that morning's radio show. And that was, again, free advertising. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a local station, a hard rock station called KZAP at the time here in Sacramento. And I got in with uh, Bob Keller and Tim Bedore, who were two of the DJs. Tim Bedore went on to be a stand-up comic with a uh, great celebrity, but I was able to bring in guys almost weekly. And it's like, that was great because the radio station got some free entertainment and I got some free marketing and everybody got a good laugh out of it. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, man, that's, that's some great insight. I love it. Uh, one of the, I mean, you, you got your marketing down, you, you, you're utilizing local stations, flyers, you've got the marketing down. Now, 
do you request any kind of sponsors? I, I was I, I was very unlucky. I've never been good at asking for money. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had the credit to go get a loan. Remember I mentioned I went bankrupt to start my club? Mm-hmm. It was a really stupid move. I wrote off like four grand, and yet I ruined my credit for 10 years, right? So um, I did everything ass backwards back then. I should not have done that. Anybody thinking of getting opening a comedy club – have good credit because then you can buy newspaper ads. You can borrow money to promote and market your place. Um, I was not that smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you I, had to utilize the resources that you had available. And obviously, yeah. Yeah. You know, and of... that's why I did things like flyers and two for one tickets mm-hmm. and, and uh, went on to radio shows. In fact, a lot of the morning TV shows, they heard what was happening on the radio and I started getting invited to bring comics on to, uh, morning tv shows you know like uh, am sacramento or something and it slowly built but it was so successful that uh, i opened in 1980 and by 1986 i had two clubs by 1988 i had three clubs and we um also uh i produced two tv series and a one-hour special for the fox network and i was all based on that initial, you know, night in a banquet room with Gary Shandling and like 30 people in the audience. I mean, it uh, um, was really exciting to be a part of because it didn't happen overnight. Nothing mm-hmm. does. So Evan, you know, a lot of these people Evan, in comedy, they think they're an overnight success. Trust me, they worked on their act for years. So you have the, the, the ability now to go out there and look for sponsors. Is that, a, is that something that you, uh, I guess... If you have the capability, the ability to do that, should you do that? I've never been any good at it, Abel, so I'm not a good person to ask. Um, Sponsors are great because they're giving you money in trade for promotion. So if I owned a club now and there was a local construction company that wanted to give me $5,000, I'd put their logo up on the back of the stage, you know, for a few months in trade or something that would be great to get those kinds of sponsors, but I was never any good at that. I never did that. Uh, in my 20 plus years of owning um, clubs, I never had any quote unquote sponsors. I did a lot of uh, co-production, co-marketing, um, advertising. <clears throat> you know, you mentioned newspaper and stuff. At a point, we were getting free listings in the newspapers under entertainment because we were one of the few entertainment venues in town. Mm-hmm. But I did, when I had some money, buy some ads and, you know, you always have to capture a new audience. Um, you know, when you have a comedy club and you're trying to get a thousand people a week through the doors, there's going to be an attrition. People aren't going to come week after week after week. The average person maybe goes to a comedy club once every couple months. So that means you need a, a pool of what, 10,000 people to keep the club full every week, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a growth thing. It does take time. And and like you said, you have, it's a combination of prom- free promotions, uh, you know, street hustling and paid advertising, but no sponsors in my case. Yeah. So, <laughs> so for my, my last question, you know, a lot of people think if you, they, if they build it, they will come. But for, for many, for, for many, all right. Kevin Costner. There you go. If, if you're starting a business for the most part, you have to do some research. You have to figure it out 
figure out whether or not it's even going to be a viable option. Did you, by chance, and sometimes people are lucky when this comes, it comes to this, did you do any research? Did you f- try to understand whether or not a comedy club in that area will, will work, uh, whether or not uh, people even go out? Well, I, I was young. I was only 24 at the time, and I was really just I'd already started a couple companies earlier, so I knew how to start a company. And I saw stand-up comedy was not a known art form in 1980. It was uh, the kind of entertainment that was between strippers at a strip club or between jazz bands at a jazz club. Uh, There was not a lot of mainstream comedy. And as I mentioned, I was the 12th full-time club in the entire United States when I opened. It was a brand-new entertainment art form at the time, but I was excited about it. But to answer your question, I took the research I did by going to San Francisco and LA where there already were a couple clubs, not a lot. Mm -hmm. And I saw how much fun the audiences were having, how it helped people forget their bills and the troubles for the day. And to be honest, I was a young entrepreneur. I saw the money coming in the door. And so when I came and decided to open a club in Sacramento. It was on a wish and a prayer. I opened my doors. I spread the word the best I could. And I crossed my fingers. People were willing to pay for it, but I lucked out. I caught that wave before it really got big. I mean, when I opened, there was hardly any comedy clubs in the country Mm -hmm. by 1984, 85. It was like Starbucks. Every disco had turned into a comedy club, right? They're uh, even here in Sacramento, we ended up with three or four of them, and we're not that big a town. Of course, I own two of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole the if you build it, they will come. Sometimes that plays into your gut feeling, and then you know, like you went to go look in in California, and you just had you saw that there was a there was a pain in the market, and you wanted to solve that. You want to bring that to your community, bring it to your city, and so it definitely falls into. Uh, you know, a gut feeling. And for many entrepreneurs, it just falls into a gut feeling and not necessarily doing all the research to see if it's going to be a viable option. People just look at the opportunity versus the viability. And I think in looking at that from that perspective, or looking at a business from that perspective, sometimes you you look at your community, you look at your situation, the resources that you have available, and you're like, you know, man, I wish there was a comedy club in my well, city. Sometimes or, being man, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur means taking that risk, taking that leap of faith. Mm -hmm. It has to be something you're interested in or passionate about. And for me at age 24, I was so excited about the comedy entertainment, but also about the financial possibilities. There was no guarantee, of course. And there was plenty of times that I lost money. Uh, In fact, I was in the red for the first uh, six or eight months of my club. But, you know, on a on a whim and a prayer and a lot of hard work, it panned out over time. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's like, whether you're opening a retail business or a restaurant, it's not going to be, you know, open the doors and people show up and you're a millionaire. You have to work hard. Being an entrepreneur is challenging. It's risky and it's hard work. But it can be very fruitful. Yeah. And I was just looking at, you know, the idea of, of trying to mitigate the failure, mitigate the 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 business collapsing, you know, and, and, and in doing so, doing some research. But like you said, sometimes grit and perseverance uh, overpower anything that you might uh, overcome, you know. So many times we are in the red 
when it, when we start a business anyways we're just building it we're understanding it it's a it's a work in process and you know you're going to have failures along the way and you're going to learn from those failures so but definitely we've covered a lot of information you know we uh, we've covered you know venue and uh, headliners openers you know hosting uh ways in which we can market it a lot of information in a short period of time uh how can um how can our listeners get a hold of you brother well, uh, let's let's share a little information. If you're interested in getting into comedy or learning something, I recently wrote a book called 20 Questions Answered About Being a Stand-Up Comic. It's available on Amazon um, or uh, the bookshop online. And that's a good book for a low price to teach you about uh, really the basics of being a comic. Uh, as far as my podcast, if you're interested in stand-up comedy and enjoy it, check out Stand-Up Comedy your host and MC. It's available on Apple, Spotify, all major platforms. And it's a great podcast because I have not only share comedy from the Bob Saget's and the Jay Leno's that work for me, but also I interview a lot of professional comics and they share their story. And you can learn a lot about uh, the industry by listening to the people that have lived it and succeeded in it. And then the newest thing, uh, Abel, if I can share, Absolutely. if you just like enjoying stand-up comedy, there's a new uh, app and website called Stand-Up Comedy Podcast Network. Standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com. You have access to over a dozen podcasts. There's jokes of the day. There's audio bites and great video of people like Jay Leno, Bob Saget, Dana Carvey, Dave Coulier, Ray Romano, on and on and on. So if you get a chance and you like stand-up comedy, go to standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com. Awesome, awesome. Well, there you go, guys. Scott Edwards, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. You're an inspiration to me and our listeners, and I'm so glad to have had you on the show today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Garza. It's been wonderful. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, there you go, guys. Scott Edwards. It was a pleasure having him on the show today. Be sure and check out all his information. It's going to be in the show notes. The the link to his app, the link to his book, the link to his his podcast is all going to be in the show notes. Check out creativeentrepreneurship.net for all of our articles and TC Podcast. We're also on Locals.com if you want to support the show. And until next week, guys, keep on keeping on. <laughs>